Greetings, ladies and mental gents, and welcome to this narration of the web novel All is Fair in War, taken from Reddit with the approval of the author. There should be a playlist in the description for all the episodes. And I hope that you all enjoy. Part 1 If you were to ask most people on what they would see if they went to the fairy's capital world, most would lament that they could not afford to go there for the price of visiting was more than a non-fairy could ever hope to afford in their lifetimes, or their children's children's lifetimes. While some people were discontent with being ruled by the fair superiors, most were apathetic to being under the fairy's boot. After all, what could they possibly hope to do about it, given their mastery of magic? The same magic that allowed them to live in incomparable luxury, at least when compared to other races. And so... Life went on, and most races powerless to stop the fairy advance. It mattered not which race opposed them, as they would be chewed up by the gears of the fairy war machine and spat out as their newest subjects. Mason, do you have a minute? queried Professor Dembe. A slightly concerned look displayed on his face. Bruh! Then I missed something in my coursework. I'm sure I double-checked everything. So, what could be wrong? Mason gulped slightly before replying, hoping that all was well. Of, of course, uh, I have a minute. Uh, what is the issue? Well, I looked over the data you gathered from the worlds that you've recently observed, and something seems to be amiss. Oh, crap, what did I fuck up now? Could you specify what the problem is, Professor? I'll get to fixing it immediately, replied Mason, with as much confidence as he could muster. The Aetherscope readings for the worlds that you have observed recently are quite strange, to tell the truth. Are you sure you've calibrated it correctly? I would hate for all your work to be rendered irrelevant by an uncalibrated scope. Oh, so that's about that. I knew that I should have clarified the readings on the first page, yet I left it for the footnotes. Either way, it's easily explained. Professor, the worlds that I've recently observed are from a newly discovered plane, where the available aether is minimal. Yet regardless of this, the dominant species of this world have managed to create a civilization. The lights from the surface that are visible at night are evidence of that. The only reasonable explanation that I can think of is that they've managed to find a way to run on a tiny drops of aether available, which speaks of an extraordinary efficiency. Hmm. Extremely efficient with aether, yet they only have a minimal amount of it available, meaning that they won't be able to put up too much at resistance to our forces, said the professor, who turned to look at Mason before giving him a hearty smile. Congratulations, Mason. If we verify these readings, this has the potential to be the discovery of the century. Sponsoring you may have been the best decision the Council of Acquisition have made for a long, long time. Mason smiled in return, feeling good at the recognition that he so sorely wanted. Yes, it's only up from here. I wonder if the Council is going to give me any land from these worlds when they conquer them. Since you've clearly worked so hard, you can take the rest of the week off. That's roughly how long it'll take to verify these results. So until then, relax, the professor, with the joy in his voice being almost infectious. The old man is happier than me. That could only mean good news for me and the department. I'll be sure to relax. Have a good day, professor. You too, Mason, he replied before turning around and leaving. Mason watched as he closed the door behind him and waited until the professor was far away. Yes, I've made it! I'm gonna be a rich man! He exclaimed while leaping about like a bat out of hell. 
I should tell my family, but uh, I'll wait until the results are verified. I don't want to put the cart before the, the unicorn. Regardless, there's calls for celebration. He took the opportunity to pen a letter to his close friends and family, in which he invited them all to a clear spring, one of the fanciest restaurants in the capital. Usually, he'd wince at the cost, but today was no day to think about prices. After all, he'd soon be a wealthy man. Mason, did you hear the news about the clear spring? queried Ansa, standing at a gigantic five foot three. Ansa was the honor of being the tallest woman in Mason's family, or any family for that matter. However, it vexed him endlessly that the tallest woman he'd ever knew was also his younger sister. Regardless, her size and strength had its uses, and the only cost to using them was Mason's pride. No, I haven't. Was our reservation cancelled? Ansa grimaced before answering, which only served to put Mason on edge. Whatever this is, it can't be good. The clear spring was, uh, well, I was destroyed. Well, uh-huh. It's believed that the five wings struck the restaurant, destroying it, a fairly powerful explosion. I heard that they were targeting Duke Nukem, who sadly perished in the blast. The cogs in Mason's head started turning. How is it that in the capital, Aether Prime for detonation wasn't detected? What's going on? Answer, do you have any idea how they pulled that off? Some of the people have floated the idea of a traitor in the security force, but since there were multiple sensors that should have detected the Aether used, we're stumped. The security chief has called us all in to bolster security and keep the capital safe. All of the non-fairies within the capital have also been detained for questioning. Really? All of them? Is that necessary, given that Duke Nukem, one of the heads of the Council of Acquisition, has passed away? This is the least we should do. Although with great inconvenience to many of us, since the menial work isn't getting done, now all of the non-fairies present have been detained for now. Guess it's going to be a rough few days, huh? Increased security along with a no-non-fairy workforce. Mason sighed while he cupped his head in his hands. This is giving me a headache. It was the day of Mason's presentation to the Council of Acquisition, which was the greatest honor that he'd ever received. Consequently, he was incredibly nervous. But the sight of the silver steps to the Great Hall of Conquest stirring even more uncertainty in him. The Great Hall of Conquest was unique due to being one of the few buildings that were managed by the Council of Culture, the Council of Acquisition, and the Council of Preservation. The magnificent building itself was built and managed by the Council of Preservation. The building, which was created from dragon jade and inlaid with dazzling oracalcum, despite the greatest battles from the millennia past. Although the building had stood for a millennia, there wasn't a single blemish to be seen, due to the incredibly careful maintenance of the Council of Preservation carried out. On the other hand, the Council of Culture took care of many artifacts and treasures displayed within the hall, whether it was an ancient manuscript from the early days of fairy culture, or a venerated king's crown, any artifact that was held in high regard by the fairies was displayed in the hall. Finally, the Council of Acquisition was responsible for doing the actual conquest. What use was their hall of conquest without anyone to do the conquering? Mason took a moment to absorb the sight, as it was only a small amount of fairies that were invited. Get your crap together. If you can pull this off, not only will you be a rich man, you could potentially become a lord of the newly conquered race. If you do this right, you'll be wealthier than even your wildest of dreams. Perhaps Her Majesty might notice me as well. Mason took a deep breath and steeled himself before climbing up the steps, 
making sure to keep his head up and his posture perfect. First impressions were hugely important, after all. The two guards in the front entrance lifted their spears apart and parted ways, giving Mason access to the interior. The council clearly knows who I am. I wonder how thoroughly they vetted me before inviting me here. At this point, they probably know things about me that I don't know about myself. Mason walked inside, spotting a fairy who wore a purple and blue robe with gold trim. The bespeckled person in front of him smiled gently before raising his hand and approaching him. Mason Renner, correct? There was something unsettling about the man before him, yet Mason made sure to smile and maintain eye contact before replying, Yes, I'm Mason Renner. Who do I have the pleasure of speaking to, if you don't mind me asking? That sounded awkward as crap. Keep it together. The man chuckled before replying, No need to be so nervous, Mason. I understand that today is a big day for you, but pride nerves are your enemy. If you want, I have something to help with that. He pulled out a small golden flask and deftly slipped it into Mason's open hand. A single sip should be enough. Mason eyed the flask and wondered what it was, but chastised himself for doing so. Medicine from a council member would most certainly be beneficial. Mason steadied himself and took a sip. He then immediately proceeded to cough and splutter, almost doubling over from the shock of the burning taste. What the feck was that? Why does it taste like fire? Mason almost cursed the man before remembering where he was and who exactly he was talking to. He shut up and stood ramrod straight while bowing his head in apology. Just as he was about to apologize, he heard the man chuckle, which made his curiosity flare up. <laughs> Believe it or not, your reaction was a rather tame one, at least compared to other fairies. Regardless, how do you feel? Have your nerves settled? Mason was about to agree to just please the man before him, but he took a moment to jack himself. To his surprise, he no longer felt nervous or apprehensive. Rather, he felt quite boisterous. What did he just give me? Liquid confidence? The man patted Mason on the back, smiling all the while. It's good stuff, isn't it? It most certainly is, replied Mason, the astonishment in his voice clear to hear. Well then, good luck with your presentation. I know you'll do an excellent job. He turned around to see a man walking off towards the hall's exit. Usually, he would have had the decorum to restrain himself. But in this moment, he was overcome with curiosity. I have to know what that liquid was. Excuse me, sir. I need to know what that was. The man looked at him once more, seemingly evaluating something about Mason. There was ten seconds of silence before the man chose to answer. It is a little something I got from a far-off world, so it'll be difficult to find currently. No, I suspect it'll become easier to obtain soon. Well, what is it called? It's called whiskey, my friend. End of chapter. Mason took slow, steady steps into the presentation room, making sure to keep his mind focused solely on the task ahead of him. It would be the most important thing that he's ever done, after all. He came upon a door to the meeting room, and first thing he noticed was that it was rather unassuming. The door was made of simple sprite oak, and the handle was unfurnished yet nicely polished silver. Compared to the gold trimmings and encrusted gemstones common in architecture in the capital, the very room with which most influential members of society controlled the vast fairy war machine was rather... plain. 
I guess military types aren't fond of embellishments. Either way, I can't let that distract me. Not when I have the most important moment of my life coming up. Mason took a deep breath and knocked on the door three times. A blue sigil that he had never seen before flashed three times, seemingly in response to his knocks. You may enter, he heard a feminine voice call out, seemingly coming from all around him. Usually, he'd be confused, but as he knew who exactly he was dealing with, he chose to say courteous and do as instructed. He placed his hand on the surprisingly cold handle and gently pushed it downwards until he heard a click. With one final deep breath, he stepped into the dimly lit room. The first thing that drew his attention was that the interior of the room was also sparsely decorated. The furnishings seemingly been rather spartan, with the sole exception of the meeting table in the center of the room. On it were thousands and thousands of miniature carvings, each one representing a world conquered by the fairies, each one a world civilized by the Empire. Every single carving was also densely packed with gratuitous amounts of aether, which greatly confused Mason. Dutch carving, and the answer to your question will be clear to see. A low, rumbling voice called out. Mason walked up to the table and did so, dodging a carving depicting the conquest of what looked like a plant-like race. His vision suddenly blurred, and when he refocused a couple of seconds later, it seemed that he was no longer in a meeting room. He was in the middle of a raging battle. All around him he could see a group of animated trees, each one towering twenty feet tall. Each one was being handled by a group of fairy soldiers, and though each tree was formidable, there was only so much that they could do when dealing with the fairy's superior magic. The trees were set ablaze by fairies, Yet even that didn't seem to deter them from the fight. Instead, many trees took the opportunity to leap into the center of fairy ranks and swing their burning limbs around, causing as much damage as possible at the cost of their own lives. However, there was only so much each tree could do, as each one was burned down or cut apart. Their numbers dwindled further and further, until there was none left on the battlefield. Even the tree's artillery that was stationed nearby was completely destroyed. By this point, the stench of blood and sap was overwhelming. Yet Mason couldn't keep his eyes off the titanic wooden citadel he saw in the distance. That must be what they're fighting for, what they wanted to protect. He saw a dozen squadrons of dragonfly fighters quickly approaching the citadel, one carrying a large amount of aether primed for detonation. It dawned on him what he would soon witness to. And so, a wave of guilt washed over his body. Nevertheless, he was overshadowed by a grim mix of resolve, acceptance, and thrill. That's what they get for pointlessly resisting us, I suppose. At the very least, their lives would be better as a part of our empire. Mason chose to look on and take everything in. He didn't even dare to blink as the dragonflies released their payload onto the citadel. Condensed balls of aether were falling towards his targets, and the split second before they detonated, Mason raced himself. Time itself seemed to stand still as titanic flames engulfed the citadel briefly, which was quickly followed by an enormous, all-consuming explosion. The citadel was destroyed completely, with the explosion being so powerful that the heat was almost unbearable from where Mason was standing many miles away. Mason took a few steps forward, intending to get a closer look at the former citadel, which was now a mere crater. 
Yet his vision blurred once again. He was back in the meeting room, except this time it was on the presence of twelve different fairies, all of which were closely observing him. Do you know what you just saw? questioned the tallest, most well-built one of the bunch. Mason realized that he was the same one who ordered him to touch the carving in the first place. My goodness, is that General Hiss? He had better get this right, or who knows what might happen to me. Mason cleared his throat before replying, I uh, believe that it was a conquest of Turin, which took place ten years ago, specifically the Battle of Tenmar Forest, which was a final blow to the Orion people, who had put up a remarkably difficult fight. The general nodded in reply and spoke once more. Why do you think I chose to show you that? Although Mason wasn't completely sure, he could make an educated guess. I believe that you are trying to show me that consequence of obtaining new worlds for the Empire without adequate information gathering. What precisely do you mean? The general queried. Mason was now getting into his stride, so he answered quickly. The Orion people were famously tenacious, and in the opening stages of the war they managed to deal a fair number of heavy blows to us, mainly because we were unaware of the spore magic that they used to infect and kill many of our soldiers. Although we quickly adapted to this, if we were aware of this from the beginning, many fairy soldiers would have survived the conflict. An older man approached Mason this time, nodding his head seemingly in agreement. He looked entirely unassuming, with the sole exception of the fleet admiral's crest in his breast pocket. This time, he chose to speak. And so, you are aware of the value of information, aren't you? From the preliminary report we have received from your university, the worlds you have discovered are in a plane with minimal aether, yet they've seemingly managed to build a flourishing civilization. I assume your report includes how this is possible, along with any ways they could have potentially weaponized the aether available to them. Yes, sir, Mason replied confidently. I've included all the ways they could have weaponized it, along with an estimation of the culture and the litany of other details. Well, let's get on with it, shall we? Called out General Moletta, a distinguished lady who was famous for her cool head during battle. Mason nodded in reply and stood at the podium on the opposite side of the room. This is going to take a while, so I advise that you get comfortable. And so, to summarize what I said, they are almost certainly a peaceful people, as their level of cooperation needed to utilize such an abysmal amount of aether is unheard of. This would ideally mean an easy conquest. However, they are most likely stronger and taller than us, as that is the trend in planes with less aether due to their biology having to adapt to such conditions. Nevertheless, this also means that they are far less individually capable of using magic than us fairies. Even if their constructs were completely efficient, this wouldn't be enough to combat us due to our people having access to far more of it. My advice would be to immediately target their aether constructs, as it would cripple whatever wartime capability such as evidently peaceful people would have. Thank you all for the opportunity to present to you this information. Mason bowed before everyone present, hoping that his presentation went off without a hitch. Apparently it did, given the applause they were giving him. He heard a few of those present talk to each other in hushed tones, probably discussing how they were going to divvy up these newly discovered worlds. 
General Hurst approached him once more, this time with a smile on his face. Mason opened his mouth to speak, but the general raised a hand to cut him off. Please, you've done enough for the Council of Acquisition, so just relax. Kudos, by the way. This is looking to be the best addition to the Empire in a long, long time. Perhaps the best addition ever, but we have yet to see what exactly this new civilization is capable of. You'll most certainly receive something significant for your discovery. Perhaps even a title from the Empress herself. How do you like the sound of that, Lord Mason Renner? That might be the most beautiful combination of syllables that I have ever heard. I am... I am generally don't know what to say, sir. It's fine. You'll have time to take it in. Regardless, I wanted to talk to you about the actual upcoming conquest. Or rather, what comes afterwards. These people are clearly innovative, so I think that we shouldn't be too harsh on them when we take over. Otherwise, who knows what they could come up with. Are you suggesting that we might lose, sir? Mason replied, shocked that a member of the Council of Acquisition would ever suggest such a thing. Mason, losing is always a possibility. Just because we haven't suffered a defeat doesn't mean that we won't ever be defeated. After all, it was that mentality that led to the Orients dealing us many painful blows, said the general, with an air of seriousness around him. I guess being this high up in the military as him counts as his own stresses, huh? I've never even thought that a fairy general would ever consider losing. I guess I should be as meticulous as possible when it comes to researching these new people. At the very least, to ease the mind of General Hurst. Of course, sir. I will conduct further research into this new world and immediately inform you of the results. Good lad, he replied, while patting Mason's shoulder at the same time. Sir, if I may, what is your opinion on this new people? The general took a few seconds to process the question looking at the fall while doing so. Perhaps in time they could ascend to a second-class citizens, due to their peaceful nature and innovativeness. If they found a way to utilize such meager aether, who knows what else they could think of. At the very least, the conquest of their world should lead to a few orders of magnitude increase in aether efficiency. Hmm, sounds like a cookie-cutter answer. I wonder if I can get the truth out of him. Is that really what you think, sir? General Hurst looked at Mason directly, which caused his hairs to stand on end. Okay, crap, D did, I, did I fuck up? He's angry. Better fix this, and quickly. I, I'm sorry, sir, my question was extremely preserved. The general raised up a hand once again to cut Mason off. No, that isn't what I really think. I think that this would be a difficult conquest on a level of the Orions, though if I say so to my peers, few will listen. And so, the most I can do is try and keep the soldiers under my command alive. Mason was shocked, still by the earth-shattering revelation. However, a strange sense of morbid curiosity took over him. May I ask why you think so, sir? General Hurst took a swig of his golden flask. Mason recognized the faint smell, as it was the same as the liquid that the strange man offered him earlier. It's my gut feeling, Mason. I've got gut feeling that there's something strange about this one. And my gut has never failed me before. End of chapter. Mason watched the aethercraft in the skies of the capital, marveling at both the beauty of the ships and the amount of compressed aether present in each one of them. The ships were doing their customary parade through the capital skies before they went into battle, which always raised morale amongst the fairies present. Each one resembled a golden arrowhead with complex inscriptions carved into the hull of each one. They seemingly sliced through the air, 
with the smaller ones gracefully circling the Impri capital ships. And to think they're going soon to conquer what I discovered. I did all of that. Mason looked towards the street from the balcony from which he perched on, mirthfully observing the cheering fairies in the streets below. He saw many of them looking up at the astonishment and wonder, especially the younger ones. I guess that's how the Council of Acquisition keeps the number of soldiers up. Who wouldn't want to be on board one of those, conquering new worlds in the name of the Empire? Bro, did you hear about who would be heading the fleet? queried Ansa, who had a hot cup of tea in her hand. Can't say that I have, Mason replied, not taking his eyes off the fleet in the sky. It's going to be Admiral Harvey, who has the honor of conquering the first world in their plane, apparently. I don't know too much about the details, but it looks like it'll be a fruitful campaign. Ansa put down the drink in her hand and reached into a purse, pulling out a strange item. Mason eyed it curiously, wondering what the item could be. She walked up to him and put a rather large box in his hands, which only served to make him even more interested. No, and by the way, I bought you something. Congratulations, brother. I always knew that you'd do something amazing. Thanks to you, our family has a bright future. So go on, open the box. Mason didn't need to be told twice. He proceeded to open the box with haste. The item inside the box confused Mason, which was apparent to his sister. What the hell is this? Some kind of... Uh, miniature carriage. But why does it look so strange? Since you're going to be very wealthy soon, I figured that you wouldn't want an overly expensive gift. You always liked your gizmos, anyhow. So I think you'll appreciate this. Well, uh, what exactly is it? I can't say that I've ever seen something like this, if I'm being honest. It's called a remote-controlled carriage. You use that little box with the buttons on it to control where it goes. Pretty cool, huh? Mason was already testing out the item making a drive in circles on the floor. This is remarkable. I've never seen anything like this. Where in the world did you get this answer? I can't say that I've ever seen anything like this. Answer chuckled before she gave a reply. We received a report of someone selling illicit goods, so we went to crank down on them. However, just as we arrived at the location, we saw the seller leap clean over the alley wall, with most of his goods in tow. She sat down next to Mason and took a sip of her drink before continuing. I've never seen someone jump that high, which says a lot about how the guy in question didn't want to be arrested. My theory is that he managed to steal some experimental items from a Magitech company, which is why he fled as fast as he did. He did leave this item behind, though, and since I know you like Gizmos, I decided to give it to you. Mason chuckled heartily at the story Anza told, while giving her a hug in the process. Well, that's the life of a security officer, I suppose. You're bound to see all kinds of wacky people. Thanks for the gift, by the way. I'll be sure to use it to its full potential. No problem, bro. Just be sure to remember your poor sister when you get gifted some land, she slyly replied, which calls Mason to laugh even more. Okay, I'll be sure to give you a little, but just don't waste it in pointless things, all right? His sister grunted affirmatively in reply. Mason returned to watching the people in the street below, who were still cheering for the fleet above them. I wonder if the natives of my domain will one day cheer me like this. Admiral, we've arrived at the border between planes. What are your orders? Queried the ensign on the bridge. Admiral Harvey looked at the magic crystal embedded in the control panel next to him, hoping that there would be an influx of additional information to lessen his uneasiness. Yet, it never came. What came instead was an order to press forwards. We advance. We will take the world called New Harvest in the name of the Empress and in doing so gain the best kind of honor. 
the kind that you can only receive in battle. Though the Admiral was slightly shaky on the inside, it certainly didn't reflect on his statement, which was a resounding success if the raucous applause was anything to go by. Calm yourself. General Hurst may have his reservations about this invasion. This won't be too difficult. There's only so much you can do with the meager Aether available, after all. Which reminds me, I should check on the status of the Aether supply lines. Admiral Harvey straightened himself and took measured steps to his communication center on the bridge. After all, if he appeared confident, his subordinates will also gain confidence. And during war, assurance is vital. Novel, sir, update me on the status of the Aether supply lines, he said in a commanding tone. The one address complied immediately, bringing up a rejection of the supply lines, along with all of the council ships in the area. Although we are being impeded by having to lay down a channel of aether, we still seem to be making steady progress to the world in question. Security around the channel itself has been optimal. Furthermore, there seems to be no attempt by the enemy to slow us down, which is evident by the lack of aether craft attempting to intercept us. Everything is progressing smoothly, Avril. The Admiral looked at the officer's data to corroborate his statement, which seemed to be completely right. He kept on looking at it, hoping to find something that the officer missed. Wait, one of those objects darting about? That can't be right. Officer, I see multiple objects within the vicinity of the ship with changing velocities. What's going on? Why didn't you inform me about this? He asked severely, which caused the officer to flinch. Well, I didn't inform you because we didn't detect any aether from those objects, so there can't possibly be enemy vessels. I've informed the science officer of this phenomenon, and they seem to believe that this is a natural phenomenon which occurs in planes with minimal aether. Supposedly, that causes what would normally be stationary asteroids to other planes to change velocities and move in geometric patterns in this one. The Admiral stood there motionless for a few seconds, dumbfounded by what he heard. Officer! Have you considered the possibility that those might be enemy craft that we're looking for? He calmly asked, hoping that the officer would have taken at least some kind of initiative. Well, yes, but since there's zero aether coming from them, how could they be enemy ships? I want visuals on that object now! The bridge jumped to work instantly, making sure that the Admiral's orders were fulfilled immediately, lest they draw his ire. Sure enough, he had visuals on the object six seconds later. The realization of what was to come slowly dawned on the Admiral, which caused his stomach to drop. By the Empress, those are ships. Multiple enemy ships. The data provided showed that there were hundreds of these vessels rapidly approaching the Admiral's fleet. He took a deep breath and approached the center of the bridge, mentally preparing himself for what would likely be a grueling battle. However, any fear he felt momentarily was quickly replaced by a steely determination. I knew it wasn't going to be easy. Shields up! End of story. Admiral Harvey stood still and took in all the data he could from the interface, the moment seemingly stretching out into eternity. His mind worked overtime, trying to come up with the ways that he could reverse the colossal feck-up of his subordinates. It had only been two seconds since he had shouted out the last order, yet the ship's shields were already up which slightly lessened his anger. Well, the crews aren't smart, at the very least they're quick. Even so, can't really blame them. This is the natural result of barging in with barely any information. He took another deep breath and prepared himself to issue another command, well aware that the upcoming fight would be the riskiest he'd fought in a long while, if ever. To 
battle stations. I want you to launch all of the mines that we have available. But sir, are you sure you want to launch all, all of them? Sh shouldn't we, we save some for later? An officer asked meekly, much to the Admiral's great confusion. Questioning orders in the middle of battle. What have we come to? Where the average soldier lacks basic competence. General Hurst was right to be nervous. We're clearly grown too arrogant. Officer, should we fail to neutralize them now, there won't be a later for us. If you question my orders again, I will launch you out of the silos. That should save on some mines, no? The officer in question pale before replying with a shaky salute. Admiral Harvey once again turned to the battle projection, trying to figure out the course of the action that he should take. Men, we will take the defensive stance while we try and determine what these enemy vessels are capable of. Remember what we are fighting for, and that will happen to us if we lose here. A mighty yes, sir, echoed resoundingly across the ship, which helped to ease the Admiral somewhat. He noticed that even the soldiers that were hesitant to carry out their duty were fully immersed in their tasks, and that the fleet coordinators were positioning the smaller vessels around the larger ones in a cocoon-like shape. Another officer approached him with a projection in hand, which displayed the fleet's formation. Due to the defensive status, most of the fighters were clustered around the Aether Relay ships and the larger vessels, which were launching more and more fighters every second. He noticed that groups of fighters would approach singular human ships and concentrate their fire, but the human vessels were seemingly unfazed. Even in the tsunami of mines that his fleet launched seemed to have little effect. Those that were damaged by the endless barrage seemingly repaired themselves seconds later much to the Admiral's growing horror. We'll need a different course of action. The Admiral approached the officer, Nodray, who was the most senior amongst the fleet coordination officers. Officer, I want you to order 80% of the available fighter pilots to stop their assault on the smaller ships and to concentrate their fire on the larger ones. Our capital ships will use distraction that they provide us to also attack the larger ships. Leave 10% of the fighters to distract the enemy's smaller vessels. And in the meanwhile, leave another 10% to protect our capital ships. But sir, given their vessel's seemingly regenerative abilities, won't the fighter pilots be wasting resources? We'll be wasting their lives for nothing. Plus, our most important ships will be vitally underdefended. Officer, it's clear to see that the enemy has outclassed when it comes to individual combat abilities. That means that our only advantage we currently have is numbers. And who knows how long that'll last. It is certain that even more of their vessels are heading towards us as we speak. That leaves us with only two courses of viable action. The first is to throw everything we have into destroying their fleet's capital ship, regardless of the amount of lives it'll cost. The second is to retreat. Which would you prefer? The officer Nodre visibly paled, gulping at the perspective that he was presented with. I'd prefer likely death of a certain one, sir. The admiral nodded towards him. Grim determination clearly displayed on his face. It is better to die in glory than to live like a coward. Yeah, right. Who genuinely wants to die on some distant battlefield? Men, I want you to charge up your energy lances before their safe limit. We are currently suffering a horrendous amount of attrition, so I want the maximum possible amount of aether to be pumped into them. Ignore the safety limits. He approached the weapons officers, who had already displayed how long it would take before the lances would be fired. Thirty seconds. Hmm. I wonder how many lives it'll cost to buy us that time. Men, I want constant updates. How many fighters do we have left? Sir, ten percent of the fighters have already perished. Twenty-five seconds, Ness. 
Sir, the enemy is racking up kills as we speak. 20% of the fighters have perished. 20 seconds left. He turned towards the display screens and took the sight of the carnage. Human projectiles were ripping through his fighters like a hot knife through butter, each impact snuffing out a fairy life. 15 seconds. He saw fighters turning and weaving desperately in order to avoid incoming human projectiles. All of it seemingly in vain as the projectiles proceeded to change directions and follow them. 10 seconds left. Sir, 50% of the fighters have perished. What should we do? Officer Nordray called out, seemingly on the verge of crying. One look from the Admiral silenced him, however, and he returned to his duty. Five seconds left. As he counted down, he noticed a swarm of fighters accosting a large human ship's getting smaller and smaller. Now's not the time to dismay, he muttered to himself. At the very least, less fighters present would mean that there would be less fairy deaths caused by their own weapons. Because these poor fighters won't have time to move out the way. May your souls rest in peace. Three. Two. One. Fire! White hot bolts of energy streaked out of the fairy capital ships, an extremely concentrated aether vaporizing anything it came into contact with, including the fairy fighters that couldn't move out of the way. At the very least, the larger human ships should be crippled by this blow. From there on, it'll be easier to deal with the smaller ones. The energy lance raced across the thousand kilometers of void between the adversaries in mere seconds, with a light that they admitted almost blinding anyone who looked at them directly. The bridge fell silent, with every officer available taking the strangely beautiful sight. Such was its beauty that no one questioned why it was slowing down when it approached the human ships. Not for a few seconds, at least. Wait, what? For the first time in a long, long time, the Admiral, along with every single fairy present, was lost for words. The unstoppable energy lance, the weapon that always worked, the weapon that had sundered countless foes, the weapon which left their enemies begging for mercy, was still. Somehow, it stopped. Everyone was so enamored with the strangely beautiful sight that nobody noticed the arrival of a new human ship, which was positioned in a hexagonal prism around the fleet. Consequently, nobody noticed the pulses of energy that they were transmitting to each other, and, as a result, nobody noticed the translucent walls that now surrounded the fleet. Well, nobody besides the Admiral, who was now considering the best course of action. We've lost. That much is undeniable. The question now is how to inform the Empire about what we've seen here today. Officer Nordre turned towards him, his confusion adorning his face. Sir, our Aether supply is somehow being uh, cut off. Regardless, it is dwindling rapidly. What do we do? So, they've trapped us, hmm? Men, your attention, please. Everyone present on the bridge turned to face him, evidently having overcome their previous stupor. Now, instead of smugness at the start of the battle, or even wonder of a few seconds ago, each of them now looked either shocked, despaired, or utterly dismayed. The Admiral cleared his throat before continuing... As Imperial soldiers, we have a duty to fulfill. We fail to carry out the Empress's wishes, therefore we must die. Now the choice before you is simple. We can die like cattle waiting to be slaughtered, or you can die like the proud warriors you are. Though our Aether is being cut off, the precious minutes we have left can be used to slaughter as many of those human savages as possible. What say you? The bridge was silent for a few seconds, with time apparently having stood still. That was until the resounding roar echoed across the ship, the hope and desperation of everyone present clear to hear. 
The Admiral took the data storage crystal from the data processing section, and once again he turned to face the bridge. Crap, what do I do? I don't want to die here. General Hurst was right. I shouldn't have come here. As your Admiral, the stain of defeat is mine to bear. The data crystal that I have in my hand will be used to make sure that these humans' tactics are known, so that we may crush them in due time. I will take this to our home, and though I may be executed for my defeat, I will make sure that each and every one of you are remembered for your valiant sacrifice. Remember what you are fighting for. Yes, sir! The soldiers present yelled. The admiral turned and sprinted towards the ship's hangar, long since abandoning any pretense of dignity. One thing is clear now that I fought the humans, the Empire is destined to lose, and I don't intend to be there once it happens. I'll deliver the day to the nearest outpost, and once I do, I'll flee. To somewhere far, far away. The evacuation shuttle was still present and functioning, which was a welcome respite to the string of disasters that had just occurred. He hopped in and initiated the startup procedure, which was thankfully powered by its own independent supply of aether. He lifted off and zoomed out of the hangar. He turned back to take the side of the ship, which was now closer to the smoking wreck than a beautiful capital ship. Even though it was barely functioning, the readings from the ship showed that the remaining aether present was primed for detonation. They're planning to bribe themselves up. Uh, don't they realize that won't work? The humans might just freeze the detonation, just like they did with the lance energy. A grim realization overcome him. These are fairies prepared to die, right here and now. They probably aren't thinking this through. Either way, I need to get away from you as quickly as possible, he muttered to himself, grimacing all the while. He quickly approached the translucent wall projected by the humans, praying all the while that he would be able to pass through. Those asteroids seem to be passed through just fine, so hopefully I will as well. He increased his velocity as he came closer to it, until he was at full speed and merely meters away from the wall. For the first time, in a long time, the Admiral was screaming without abandon, having long since abandoned his decorum and grace. He was still screaming as he hurled himself headfirst into the wall. End of chapter I am Empress, the ruler of a thousand planes, the one who has dominion over an almost uncountable number of things, ever expanding in their variety. I'm the one who has the responsibility for shepherding the fairy race, so that they may enjoy the ever more prosperous future, no matter the cost to other races. So, it has been the same for the Emperor before me, and the Empress before him, and so on. I am the inheritor to a dynasty that has lasted for close to a million years, the stewardess of the greatest civilization to ever exist. I have ruled for eleven centuries, and in that time, I have expanded my civilization greatly, just as those before me have. Even though we occasionally encounter those who are stubborn and headstrong enough to submit to my superior rule, no one civilization, world or culture has managed to repel us, the Orions are a prime example of that. Such is the might of the fairy people who I am ordained to guide. And so, when I was recently informed by the Council of Acquisition about a new, unconquered plane, I only did what I've always done in these situations. I let slip the dogs of war. And now that I've done so, this new people will surely come to be under my dominion. Because... 
That is the way that it has always been, and always will be. Months ago, a council of acquisition informed me about these Cubans, and how the plane they inherited has barely any aether. Yet, in spite of this disability, they've managed to utilize aether extremely efficiently, more so than any other people that we've ever encountered. Recent reports also show that even though they are larger and physically stronger than us, they are still a peaceful people, as evidenced by the amount of cooperation needed to utilize the tiny amount of aether that they have. A strong, smart, innovative, and peaceful people. They will surely be the most fruitful conquest that we've had in a long, long while. Perhaps the best ever, if things go well. And things have always gone well, so why am I feeling this growing pit in my stomach? Even though Admiral Harvey has yet to report from the first world of theirs that we've most certainly conquered by now, that should be of no cause of concern. After all, in a place with minimal aether, there's bound to be some communication issues. Yes, Matt said, communication issues are why he hasn't responded back yet. Even so, this doesn't help alleviate my concern much. As Empress, it is paramount that I maintain my composure at all times, regardless of what has happened, for I am an example for all to look up to. Thankfully, within the last few months, some intrepid fairies have provided me with something that they brought from, from a far-off world, which they call chocolate. Its heavenly taste helps to calm me down, and its velvety texture elevates my mood considerably. It, along with the grape wine that they've brought for me, have only helped me make better decisions. Major decisions should only be made when calm, after all. And the order to invade had been given when I gorged myself in chocolate and wine, so I was most certainly the calmest possible state. Consequently, I definitely made the right choice, yes. I most definitely made the right choice. So, um, why am I feeling so nervous? A blinding light woke Admiral Harvey from his stupor, causing him to jolt up. However, he found himself strapped to a chair, which in turn was melded to the floor. He took in his surroundings carefully, thoroughly considering his options that he had available. As far as he could tell, the room that he was in had no door or windows. It was the starkest white that he'd ever seen, which only served to unsettle him. After a while, he attempted to feel for any surrounding aether, when the realization of where he was suddenly hit him. How the feck am I still alive? Have I... have I been captured by the humans? Seemingly, in answer to his question, a pitch-black rectangular hole appeared in the wall in front of him. He eyed it intensely feeling both apprehension and indignation at the situation he found himself in. Do they intend to interrogate me? If so, they're out of luck. I've been trained to withstand any kind of pain. He continued to watch the opening in the wall for a while, until finally the silhouette was visible. The first thing he noticed was that even though it shared the same body shape as a fairy, it was tall. Very tall indeed. That has to be at least five feet tall, if not more. If so, I guess it's certain that I've been captured by the humans. Training, don't fail me now. The human walked into the room, carrying with it a kind of briefcase. The human in question was dressed in a fairly simple, baby blue suit with white highlights. Upon waving his hand, the table and chair materialized in front of him, which only put the Admiral on higher alert. I can't access any Aether from here. 
yet he managed to summon a table and chair with a wave of his hand. Is this what's possible with a high eraser efficiency? The human patted down his suit, gently put down the briefcase, and proceeded to sit down. A cup of water materialized out of nowhere, and the human proceeded to drink it. What in the world is he doing? It's not very intimidating, that's for sure. A couple of minutes passed before the human deigned to look at the Admiral, whose irritation was building up. Admiral Harvey, I presume, he queried with a deeper voice than the Admiral was expecting. I guess that what comes with size. You've got that right, human. What do you want with me? The Admiral replied, putting on his most commanding voice. The human cleared his throat before continuing. I am David Mosen, and I hope to get to know you over the next few days. I take it that you aren't too comfortable. Unfortunately, we've had to restrain you to that chair as we were unsure how you would react to waking up here. However, we can remove them once you feel like it. We want to cooperate with you after all. And a good cooperative relationship is built on manners, wouldn't you say? The Admiral stared at the so-called David for a few seconds. Incredulousness written all over his features. Huh? What the feck is he on about? What is he playing at? David smiled at him before continuing with his speech. It's as I say, Admiral. Though I suppose in here you're not an Admiral. Do you mind if I call you Kane? Or would you like me to call you Mr. Harvey? How the feck do you know my first name? Blurted out the Admiral with alarm in his voice. David grinned once again before replying. Now, now, I know you fairies have a tradition of only friends and family addressing you by your first name. Yet, do you really feel the need to do so in here? Besides, it wasn't too hard to find out your details. The bead of sweat ran down the Admiral's back. So that's what this is going to be. Instead of torturing me, they're going to threaten those close to me. How on earth did they find out about me, though? Okay, fine, call me Kane, but I have a few questions of my own. The human positively grinned upon hearing this, which only threw the Admiral further off. Of course, um, we humans believe in give and take, after all. It would be unfair to leave you with an unanswered questions, especially considering that we'll be asking questions of our own. David waved his hand once again, which caused the Admiral's restraints to evaporate into thin air. He lifted his briefcase onto the table and delicately undid the clasp. He then turned the briefcase to face the Admiral and opened it gently. The contents of the briefcase certainly weren't what he expected, as evidenced by his jaw hanging open. Cold vapor wafted off two bottles within the briefcase. The condensation on the bottles looked absolutely heavenly in that moment, yet the Admiral did not touch them. What kind of trick is this? I am aware that you are partial to these drinks, Kane, so I took the trouble to prepare them for you. A Glenfiddich and a gold glass of coke, all for you. David sat there for a while, yet when the Admiral didn't make a move, he pushed the briefcase towards him. I suggest you take a drink, Kane. You're awfully thirsty, after all. Plus, uh, I would hate for you to be left wanting for something that I can provide. The Admiral didn't reply instead choosing to remunerate on what had just occurred. He quickly realized the magnitude of what was going on, and so he chose to ask a question in return. How long have you infiltrated for us for, and how deep does it go? David grinned once again before answering. Around twenty years now, and for as how deep, 
You should be able to answer that. We are suppliers of your favorite drinks, after all. Even after hearing this bombshell answer, the Admiral was no more perturbed than before. Instead, a grim realization took hold over him. How am I still alive? Instead of answering instantly, David chose to instead pour two glasses and single malt. He pushed one towards the Admiral and took a deep, long sip of the other. He put the glass down before continuing. Inertial dampeners are capable of wonders, Kane. Though, to be fair, much of human technology is. Much should have turned you into a fine red mist, only knocked you out, which you should be thankful for. Though, we did get your data crystal, so I suppose you paid for the cost of using it on your ship. The Admiral chose to take a deep, long sip, as David had. Years of experience taught him when he was thoroughly beaten, considering that he didn't have many options. He put the class down and looked at David, who smiled and returned and leaned forwards. We have a few questions of our own, and I'd appreciate it if you answered to the best of your ability. End of chapter. Part 6 Sir, the Fairy Admiral is currently in interrogation space, and Sir Mosin will soon begin to question him. Do you have anything specific you'd like to ask, besides what's already been planned out? queried Vice Captain Valencia, who looked wholly unconcerned. Captain Lee sat still for a moment, mulling over the proposition. Not particularly, no. David should ask him everything of interest, anyway. And if there's something else, we know we can always just go back and ask him some more. At that moment, a beep rang out from the HUD, prompting Captain Lee to look over, and upon reading it, grin. It looks like it's already begun. Her illustrious majesty, the Empress of Fairykind, was, for the first time in a while, confronted with an unpleasant situation. Someone had come to her palace and demanded an audience with her immediately, which was quite shocking. Ideally, the perpetrator would be executed almost immediately, yet that would be quite difficult to pull off this time, as the person in question was no other than the celebrated General Hearse, a famed subjugator of Orients. Perhaps I should demote him for this slight, or maybe I should hear him out, since he's never done something this rash before. She stepped out of the chamber, donning her nightrobe. It mattered not what she wore in the presence of those beneath her. Now she would be a sight to behold all the same. She approached the greeting hall of the palace, which was where the commotion was chiefly coming from, and saw the general and his entourage being prevented from coming any further in by her royal guard. Considering they let him step foot in my palace grounds without permission, perhaps I should demote them as well. She waved her hand in, and intense noise completely ceased. Using Aether available to her, she froze everybody in the room, with the sole exception of the general. You better have an excellent reason for disturbing my rest, Hess, otherwise you will face dire punishment. Do you understand? The general, who was seemingly unfazed by her display of power, simply nodded in reply before bowing his head in deference. Deeming this to be acceptable, she motioned for him to proceed. Your Majesty, I've come to tell you that I believe that Admiral Harvey's fleet has been defeated. Not only that, but we are greatly underestimating the strength of the humans. The room instantly descended into an icy coldness, which struck fear into the heart of every fairy present. The Empress was incensed, and to the point that Aether in the palace was affected as well. Beads of sweat rolled off many a forehead, and each fairy present prayed that they wouldn't be on the receiving end of any imminent outburst. 
You claim that Admiral Harvey's fleet has been defeated, yet we've received nary a word from him. What do you base this claim on? General Hayas made a sure to look confident and measured at his response. A wrong word, yeah, could have been the end of him, after all. Though our communications have been cut off, we have received a small amount of data from before the severing of communications. The information within paints a worrying picture, Your Majesty. If you will allow it, I can present the data here. However, I must inform you that there is no audio to accompany the projection, due to the limited amount of data received. The Empress nodded in response, and so the General pulled out a projection crystal from his breast pocket. The events that you are about to see are a recreation of the battle over the human's world, New Harvest. As this isn't the original crystal, the data isn't complete. However, it's more than enough to understand what's going on. He channeled some aether into the crystal, which then projected the events of the battle as seen from the bridge. The Empress watched as the battle unfolded, not even blinking as she saw the thousands of fairy ships rapidly dwindle in number. She continued to watch as Admiral Harvey gave the command for the fighter craft to buy some time so that the capital ships could charge their lances and fire. Admiring him for his decisiveness while simultaneously ridiculing him for his apparent weakness in dealing with these aliens. She watched on as the energy lance was somehow frozen in the middle of the void, and continued to watch, this time in terror and shock, as most of the ships were destroyed. She saw the humans move to set up a trap around the fleet. And the Admiral's attempt to inform the Empress of what, what had occurred, which was evidently in vain. She also watched as the flagship initiated its self-destruct and accelerated towards the human ships, before it was frozen too. Their bravery was admirable, yet their deaths were in vain. The result of having an incompetent leader, I presume. It's impressive how long Admiral Harvey has managed to hide his tactical shortcomings. Once the projection ceased, the general proceeded to put the crystal away, and once again bowed his head, clearly waiting for the empress to address him. I should indulge him, I suppose. Is this meant to faze me, general? I'm afraid I am incapable of always understanding what your distinguished words mean, your highness. I wholly understand that. What I say is that you believe the fleet has been defeated, which at this point is undeniably true. Yet you also claim that the humans are a lot stronger than we expected, though, that their strength is the reason why we lost. Yes, that is what I have come to say, Your Majesty. The Empress approached him once more, walking until she was directly in front of him. General, I thought you'd understand by now. What you saw was no exceptional strength on their part. It's incompetence on Admiral Harvey's part. That we, the greatest civilization to ever grace the universe, could lose in a proper battle is absurd. It's clear what happened to me when, presented with a foe that was ever so slightly stronger than before, the Admiral's ineptness shone through. That's the problem with being so mighty, I suppose. Bumbling fools can ride the coattails of the competent peers. General Hears once again bowed his head before replying. It is clear that your judgment is unsurpassed, your majesty. If I may ask, what do you make of the human trap, where they managed to sever the Aether from the entire fleet? The general looked up towards the entrance, but once he saw the glare in her face, he quickly lowered his face once more. Come on, general, it's clear what happened. They clearly very adept at controlling a little aether available, so it is surprising that they've managed to find a way to cut it off. Next time, just spread out the fleet so that they won't be able to pull it off twice. Our superiority should be apparent from there. Of course, your majesty, uh, that is all I wish to inform you of. Next time you barge into my palace, 
I will have your head, no matter how urgent the news is. Do I make myself clear? General here smiled before Your Majesty, before exclaiming and responding, Yes, Your Majesty. The Empress again raised her hand, which released the others from the room from their position. The royal guards immediately returned to their positions, while the general's entourage hastily bowed before the Empress, before making their way towards the door. The Empress turned around and approached one of her advisers. I want you to approach the Council of Culture with news of the Admiral Harvey's embarrassing defeat. I will have every fairy in my realm know what a failure he is, and that he is not to be emulated. Seize his lands, people, and property. His family will also have to an example made of it of them. That should prevent any repeats of embarrassments, no? The advisors gave courteous nods before turning and leaving the chamber, undoubtedly on the way to carry out her demands. Pleased that some people had retained any semblance of competence, the Empress made her way back to her chambers. Hmm, I'm going to be out of wine soon. Should definitely have someone place an order. Admiral Harvey sat motionless, trying to process what he'd just witnessed. The Empress will destroy everything of mine, friends and family included. At first, he questioned the veracity of the human's projections, yet when they showed him moments of his private life, he had no choice but to believe them. And now, he didn't know what to believe. David Mosen sat across from him, with a consoling look on his face. There are still many fairies in your military who look up to you, Kane. It is clear now that the Empress doesn't value you, and if you fail to act, it'll be your loved ones on the chopping block. David leaned forward with his hands crossed on the table, for the first time looking wholly serious. We have an extensive network in the Empire, many of which have links to the military-industrial sector. They, with the help of our associates, which includes the Five Wings, have managed to plant what could be best described as etheric poison into the engines of at least 40% of the fairy fleet, most of which are technically still under your command, as the Council of Culture has yet to begin its smear campaign. Admiral Harvey looked towards David for a few seconds before beckoning him to continue. Gain. Though we are at war, we try to avoid senseless slaughter as much as possible. As these are ships under your command, they will react to your Aether signature. We want you to issue the order for these ships to shut down. Once they detect the combination of your etheric signature and the order to shut down, they will shut down. I've seen what you humans are capable of. Can't you recreate my etheric signature? Why even bother with this plot? If you could implant these crafts with the etheric poison, couldn't you just destroy them? Why not save yourself the trouble? Those are all very valid questions. It's only been twenty years since we discovered Aether, and since we don't have any in our realm, we've had to make forays into yours. We've realized that the best way to weaponize Aether is to discover the ways you've weaponized it, and improve it from there. Just think about what could be achieved if we combined the two. But doesn't the order that you want me to give out to destroy the ships, how can you do research off of destroyed vessels? David smiled once again, which still unsettled the Admiral. When we say destroy, we don't actually mean to destroy the ships. What will happen is each ship's self-destruct will activate, which will prompt the alarmed crews to evacuate. Once they do so, the etheric poison, or what we humans would call a retrofitted virus, would take effect. This will cause the ship to pilot themselves to the designated drop-off point. We get the ships we want for research while your men stay alive. Is that not a win-win deal? 
What I fail to understand is that, until now, you were unable to get your hands on some ships. You've infiltrated us for twenty years. Surely it couldn't have been that hard. Tell you what. I'll let you know once you issue the order. Plus, if you do so, we'll immediately extract your family. David extended his hand before continuing with his speech. What do you say, Admiral Harvey? It didn't take too long for the Admiral to decide, and so he shook David's hand. There's no way in hell I'm going to keep fighting for that Empress. I agree. End of chapter. Part 7 Across the Empire, a strange, perplexing, yet mostly worrying sight was taking place. All at once, ship crews ejected from their craft, hooting and hollering about how their ship was going to imminently blow up. And so, their collective reactions were phenomenal, almost bordering on comical. As they watched their ships, they so lovingly piloted and expertly took care of, fly off by themselves, to Empress knows where. Over the capital, the same sight was taking place, as a portion of the ship seemingly ejected their crew. Mason, along with everyone else in the streets of the capital, looked up in confusion that quickly morphed into a disbelieving shock. Hordes of escape pods made their way back down to the surface, some of them making messy landings. A spate of fires broke out across the city. However, they were quickly put out by fire suppression squads. Nevertheless, the city was left looking a lot worse for wear than it did ten minutes ago, which left many fairies angry, especially the military brass, who would have to deal with the Empress's eventual outburst. Security squads set out to find the question the soldiers responsible for blemishing the capital city, which wasn't an envious task. Capital security forces couldn't use brute force against trained soldiers after all, and so the usual thuggish ways wouldn't work. They instead resulted in more scenes of chaos across the capital, with security demanding the soldiers come in for questioning, and the soldiers in question outright refusing to do so, fearing the blemish on their records from being sent to jail. The situation went on for close to an hour and was helped in no small part by the non-fairies egging on the soldiers and security forces. Seeing those detestable fairies hurt brought many of them joy, after all. Many of these confrontations almost descended into fatal brawls, which caused many of the present fairies to be slightly disillusioned with their security and military. If they were behaving this way in the streets of the capital, who's to say that they wouldn't do any worse to the public who wasn't present? They took the capital ship and a loudspeaker equipped to defuse the situation. It made laps around the skies of the capital, each time demanding that the fights be broken up, lest the perpetrators face the consequences. Though this was enough to deal with most confrontations, the military had to intervene in the fights that were already in motion. General Moletta had happened to be in the highest-ranking military officer present, was incensed. That the military would embarrass itself in such a way was one thing, but it was another thing entirely that they would do so in public view. She paced around the bridge of a ship, formulating the best path forward to minimize damages as well as to restore their most certainly tarnished reputation. One of his subordinates approached her swiftly, with a data crystal in hand. Ma'am, we've just received word that Admiral Harvey has been defeated, and his fleet has been destroyed. The Empress would like for you to have the honor of launching the first ground invasion, and now that the Admiral is out of the picture, you can commandeer his remaining ships as well. Instead of displaying the surprise that would be expected when hearing such a thing, she seemingly took it in stride. Very well, then. Though I must confirm something first, those ships that flew off... Weren't they commanded by General Harvey? 
If so, whose ships am I supposed to commandeer? The ships that are gone? Though we haven't completely confirmed it, we have determined that they all belong to him. We've also detected that we were believed to be his ace signature, just before those ships ejected the crew and flew off. She turned towards her subordinate with a slight disdain on her face. These ships received orders from the supposedly dead man, and you didn't tell me this any sooner. It's clear what happened now, and regardless of the cost, we cannot allow those ships to leave our space. The enemy have seemingly already gained help and knowledge of Harvey. We cannot allow them to gain ships as well. What would you like us to do, ma'am? Fire, goddammit! The fairies are moving to intercept our cargo. Your orders, Captain. I trust your operatives are in place. Of course, Captain. Captain Lee took one more look at the HUD, and once he was satisfied that he had accounted for all variables, he gave the go-ahead. Commence Operation Flyswatter. Nearby, his fleet spooled up their aether negating force fields and set out to intercept the cargo. So far, there was only one point of ingress from human to fairy space, and the desperate elements of Admiral Harvey's fleet would soon be funneled through there. Therefore, it was his ultimate priority to protect it from the incoming ferry attack. Though, if the operatives in the ferry space did their jobs, we wouldn't have to deal with much. Human and human allied operatives in the ferry space set out, in concert with the captain's orders, though they had been secretive in infiltrating ferry space. Their current mission had no need for sneakiness. Rather, they were the cause as much chaos as possible, which brought much glee to those participating. After a long time dealing with fiery hubris, they finally had the opportunity to wreck their crap. And wreck their crap they did. All across the worlds of the Empire, hangars, barracks, airfields and naval bases, military warehouses, and anything that was had the slightest to do with military were under attack. An expeditious number of explosions seemed to be going off constantly, while fighters seemingly apparated out of thin air and attacked ferry soldiers who were still wholly confused as to what was going on. Aircraft came out of nowhere and strafed anything important looking, while fighters kept stacking up enemy lives that they took. The fairies who tried to fight back quickly found that their standard-issue Aether Bolters were doing nothing to the enemy, while the enemy's strange Aetherless weapons were scything through their numbers. Those who dropped their weapons and ran towards the ships found that even approaching the ships was deadly, as a green haze caused them to collapse. General Molanta, who was still stationed on a bridge, watched on in shock. That green haze? I recognize that. That Aether type can only be used by the Orions. After all, have they finally come to meet their revenge? I need to act. Then, to your stations, we are to fire upon the interlopers and preserve the equipment they set out to destroy. For the Empress! The rallying cry rang out across the ship. For the Empress! It looks like your command was successful, Kane. So we've extracted your loved ones. They will soon be here. Since you fulfilled your part of the deal, I'll answer your question to the best of my ability. Fire away, said David, who was totally relaxed in his chair. Admiral Harvey renumerated for a moment before settling on opening question. Firstly, how did you get the projection of not only my family, but the Empress's private quarters? Is it another one of your aceless tricks? David grinned while pouring himself another drink. Nanites, son! I've no clue who what those are, David. Plus, I'm not your son. Touche. Think of them as small automatons, so small that they can't be seen with the naked eye. 
yet so numerous that they can build constructs that you can't imagine. They form almost anything we want. Hmm. So how did you get them into the fairy space? More specifically, the Empress's chambers. It's simple, really. She loves chocolate and wine, so we gave her chocolate and wine, with a little extra serving of nanites as well. So these nanites are inside her body? Yes. Are they in mine? Yes. So couldn't you just kill her off? These nanites are capable of anything, no? I said almost anything. It turns out that Aether present within your bodies interferes with them receiving commands somewhat. No need to worry, though. We're working on that. Though that reply unsettled him. He chose to press on. Secondly, what will you do with those ships, and why couldn't you get your hands on a large number of them until now? We'll use these ships and a large supply of aether they carry to force open new egress points into fairy space. But you've already infiltrated us, so how is it that you can't open new breaches yourself? We've had to rely on our allies' help for that. Oh. You intimately familiar with the audience, no? It turns out that brutally forcing them to submit doesn't inspire a lot of loyalty. So they've come to us for help. And since we've been using their aether to breach into your space, we've been unable to take your ships. They'd automatically alert your military on detecting the faintest trace of their aether, after all. Though, I'm sure you know that. He took a moment to think of his next question, and arguably the most important one. What will you do with us? David practically leapt out of his seat, which startled him. Are all humans this strange? Before I answer that, why don't I take you out for a tour? It'll be lightning, I believe. Wanting the opportunity to leave this room, he readily agreed. After all, he was also curious as to what the human ship would look like outside of the stark white room. Okay then, uh, sure. End of chapter. And with that, my friends, we have caught up with the current posting of the story. Please do not annoy the author for new chapters. I'm sure there will be some available when the author is good and ready, as is proper. Anyways, I hope you have a fantastic one, and I'll see you in the next video. Cheers. Just a quick shout out to the T5 peeps. Bob the Dragon, Cat Crab Lobster, Data Magnet, Dark Machine, Bezik, Try Again 95, Feudic Yol, Astrea the Dreamer, Caspar Arnholtz, Cam Maxwell, Athelia, Meridian 117, and Jordan Buxmorm. Thank you very much.